The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. Oh, we've made it to Friday. And have a lot to do while sending you into the weekend. Wes Miller was introduced as new head coach at Cincinnati this morning. You'll hear some of that shortly. As for the Carolina Panthers, whenever I talk to fans about the quarterback situation, I'm reminded of one of my favorite Family Guy episodes. Sawyer, do you watch the show Family Guy? Seen a few episodes, not don't really keep in touch. That's kind of surprising. It seems like something that would be right up your alley. The one I'm thinking of is when Peter and Lois get pitched a timeshare. They're sitting there for hours. I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. With the promise that they'll get a free boat. But before they're able to cash in on the boat, Peter's presented with an option of a mystery box rather than the boat. That's when Peter has the line, A boat's a boat, Lois. Anything could be in the mystery box. Even a boat. So, of course, he gets duped. And bringing it back to the Panthers, I don't know if Darnold is a boat or a franchise quarterback, but I feel a lot better about Carolina's chances with him than I do going into the mystery box that is this NFL draft. Darnold is a better option than drafting a QB. Other than Lawrence, who do you feel really good about? 336-777-1600 on Twitter at SportsUpGiant. If I take Lawrence off the board, who are you in love with? Because with all of them come huge risks. Even Zach Wilson. I've been on the Wilson train since that Coastal Carolina game. I feel he's going to be a star. I think he's going to hit. But even if you love Wilson, like I do, you can acknowledge it wasn't really the strongest schedule he played last year. And before that, had you really heard of Zach Wilson? I follow a lot of college football, and I haven't. I had not. How about Mac Jones? One year at Bama. It's the big question. What are you going to look like when you don't have all the advantages at all the skill positions? It doesn't mean you can't operate an offense in the NFL, but he had the best supporting cast in all of college football, and it's a smaller sample size than what we saw with Tua. We saw Tua for multiple years sling it in the national title game, in a Heisman-like season as a sophomore, and his junior season before getting injured. We only saw it for one year with Mac. It's a small sample, and the smaller the sample gets, the higher the risk goes. Justin Fields. He was great uh, two years ago at Ohio State. He was awesome. He was great against Clemson. I think he's the third best quarterback in this draft, but I think he's flawed. He had advantages on offense. Nobody in the Big Ten was in the class of Ohio State. Nobody was close. And even if that was, even with that being the case, he was mediocre against Indiana, where he had three interceptions in that game. He was bad for stretches against Northwestern, got better in the second half, but it was still largely a mediocre performance. The Big Ten didn't give us the normal schedule that we'd normally get. You'd have you have a six-game regular season. Ohio State didn't even reach that mark. Then they played the Big Ten Championship, and they had two more in the college football playoff. Eight games for Fields this past year, and a fourth of them, mediocre. Trey Lance, he's 20. He is 20 years old. You really feel comfortable drafting in the top 10 somebody that's not even old enough to legally drink in the NFL? That doesn't happen. He's the biggest risk on the board. He didn't play last year. And before that, we only saw 17 games, and it was at North Dakota State. Other than Lawrence, all the QBs are huge risk. And if you're the Panthers, in order to secure one of these quarterbacks I just mentioned, guarantee you get one of these guys, you'd have to trade up. And if you trade up, 
you'd be giving up more than what you gave up to get Sam Darnold. If Darnold, for whatever reason, was just thrust into this draft because of how poorly, let's say, the Jets mismanaged him his first three seasons, where would he be taken? Would he be taken over Zach Wilson? Right now, if you're going into 2021, who would you want as your quarterback? If you're not worried about the contract details, if the contract was the same, who would you want? I'd probably venture to say it's Sam Darnold. I think it's an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. Darnold's best days are in front of him. That's why. That's the difference between picking up Darnold and signing Teddy a year ago. When you sign Teddy, it was because you were unsure of the Cam Newton contract and Cam's health. It was more to do with Cam than it was to do with Teddy. When you bring in Darnold, a lot of it does have to do with Teddy, but you feel like Darnold's best days are in front of him. I don't think you're saying that with Teddy Bridgewater. I love Teddy. Awesome teammate handled this past year with class, but I don't think his best days are in front of him. Darnold is 23 years old. That is one year older than Justin Fields and Mac Jones. And he's been in the league for three years. He's done good things. Remember when he got mono and everyone picked fun at him? He missed the first three games of the 2019 season. When he came back, he beat Dallas, which was good that season. It was seen to be the biggest upset of the regular season that year. That season, he was actually a game over 500. Seven and six in games he played it. But that early stretch when he was out due to mono really hurt. When the Jets are without Sam Darnold in the last three seasons, they are 0-10. His record's not great, but the Jets are a competitive team when he's out on the field. When he's not out there, it's historically the worst offense we've ever seen, even worse than the 76 Buccaneers. So there's value and what Sam's doing. Football's his top priority. That's what I've learned this past week, hearing him on Monday. He's been doing interviews across the circuit. We hope to chat with Sam eventually, just like we hope to catch up with Wes, but we understand he's busy. This is Sam on WFNZ in Charlotte with my buddy Nick Wilson talking about how he'd feel if Carolina drafted a quarterback at number eight. No, I think, you know, competition's great. <laughs> um, you know, if, you know, that's what the organization decides to do, I think, you know, that's why they get paid the big bucks to make those decisions. So, um, you know, if, if that's the, you know, direction uh, that the organization wants to go, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, and I'm all for competition. So I wouldn't be against it. He was absolutely thrown into the fire in New York. You're dealing with all this media that can be rude, that's often aggressive, combative. So dealing with Charlotte media, triad media, triangle media, Panthers media is going to be a piece of cake for him. He's polished at the age of 23 years old. But what I've also learned this week, he's pretty boring. <laughs> that's a good thing. I think if you're a politician or a franchise quarterback, it's good that you're boring. We don't want a lot of uncertainty here. We don't want things to pop up. Oh, this guy was out late getting after it. No. You you want a little bit of politician in your franchise. Guy, you want a little bit of bland, and Sam's a lot of that. This is a guy that just says he wants to kick back and hang out on a lake. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't really have any other hobbies. Football is his priority. Drafting a quarterback at eight would be a massive missed opportunity. I don't think Carolina's far from making the playoffs. Offensive tackle makes the most sense. It's a lot of risk there. Sam is a better option than drafting a quarterback, even if Fields or Lance fall to them at number eight, and especially Mac Jones if he falls there. Drafting a QB would be a missed opportunity you got to at least give it a shot with Sam because I think Carolina is a playoff team with him.
They've upgraded at a lot of key spots, including quarterback. That's going to pay dividends. Let's get to Wes Miller. Wes was really good today. He was on, and he's going to represent the triad so well for years to come. I say specifically the triad because he's the best we've ever had to offer. He's a Greensboro kid, and he still looks like a kid. Born in Greensboro, but can you get more triad than this? More North Carolina than this? Born in Greensboro, an assistant at Elon, an assistant at High Point, an assistant at Greensboro before being promoted to become the head coach, and I started going back at his history. Here were the first handful of games he had. He had to get ready for ECU on two days, two days preparation. Then you had to go to Cameron and face Austin Rivers and Duke. Then you had Shaka Smart in VCU. Really tough stretch right after they went to the Final Four. His background, I mean, he went to North Carolina as a walk-on. He busted his butt to become a starter. He won a national championship ring. He is the best we have to offer. Nothing given to him. UNCG was a bad program before he got there and turned it around and made it an attractive job for whoever's going to take it next. He's maximized his opportunities. Roy Williams. He's told us, Wes is the best example of a player maximizing his potential that he's ever coached. He views that as one of the greatest compliments he could give a player. Roy expected him to be a walk-on player that becomes a coach, not a guy who contributes on his teams. And he did. And he exposed Wes to guys like George Raveling and Larry Brown and Dean Smith. And Wes soaked in all that information like a sponge. And Roy was the first person he thought of today when he was talking about his mentors. Here's a little bit of how that sounded. It it starts with me with Roy Williams. I sat on his couch in his office a month or so after he got the job at North Carolina, and he was trying to convince me to be a recruited walk-on. I had options to go other places on scholarship, so I didn't have a whole lot of interest in that, but because it was Coach Williams and because I grew up in that area, I certainly was willing to listen. He asked me a question I'll never forget, and the rest is history. He said, what do you want to do when you're done playing? I want to coach. And he said, well, you have to come here and play for me because I will help you. And if it wasn't the most prophetic thing that I've ever heard, he has been a mentor, a guiding light in my life, a guiding light as a young coach, and he's been there with me every step of the way. Cool stuff there from Wes. And he loves the city of Greensboro. See, I think some people conflate youth with emotion. At times it could be irrational, you're young, you don't really know yet, you're not hardened yet. Wes is not an emotional guy. He's under the age of 40, but he's not an emotional guy. He's not married. He even said today, he is married to the program. He's married to basketball. He's not a romantic. Today was the first time I ever saw him get emotional, get choked up. When he was talking about UNCG, and he was talking about his players, This is what stood out to me the most from Wes's introductory press conference at Cincinnati. I am proud, deeply proud, of what we built at UNCG over the last 10 years. It's been difficult every single day, grinded out work. We were not in a good place when we started, and I am proud that we built something there over 10 years that was sustainable. As great as this place is, it was not easy to leave. And the reason that it wasn't easy to leave was because of the people. So to my former players, I love you guys. I wouldn't be standing up here without you guys. You will always be my guys. And I expect you to show up to Cincinnati in Bearcat gear and feel a part of what we're doing here moving forward. He also named the university presidents he worked under and Kim Record for giving him an opportunity when he was 28 years old. Ten years later, the head coach at Cincinnati. As for who should replace Wes in Greensboro, I'll tell you who I think it should be next on The Drive. I'm sorry I'm a little winded. A lot of talk. 
You're on the drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Sawyer, do you know what Occam's razor is? I have no idea. Occam's razor is something I was taught when I was in high school. It's the principle when it comes to problem solving that the simplest explanation is usually the right one. So when you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in a basketball game, when you're trying to figure out whether to take a job, or in the case we're looking at right here, the NFL draft, the simplest possible explanation is usually the right one. If we follow that logic, I think, just based on the transaction wire we've seen in the league, I think I can make sense of what the NFL draft is going to shake out like if there are no trades in the top eight picks here. Like where the top eight teams are going to go, we'll start with the Jacksonville Jaguars here, Sawyer. Do we have the draft sounder to make this sound more legit? We do. The Jacksonville Jaguars with the number one pick take Trevor Lawrence. That's the most obvious pick on the board here. Urban Meyer, he's at Clemson's Pro Day. And not only is he there, it's not even Clemson's Pro Day. It's specifically a Trevor Lawrence throw day. He made it known, this is my quarterback. I'm going to stand next to Dabo at the snap point so I get a better look at my quarterback than all the other coaches at the workout do. Trevor Lawrence, the number one pick to the Jags. The number two pick, the New York Jets. The number two pick, the New York Jets. What are you doing over there? Are you texting? Doing show stuff. Just pay attention to the show you're producing. Zach Wilson, New York Jets. They traded away Sam Darnold. They're going to go quarterback. This guy has the most star potential. New York is always looking for the star. And when you're trying to find a star, you usually look for the sexy, new, cool thing. Zach Wilson's that. I think he's going to be the pick there. Number three, it's the San Francisco 49ers. Mac Jones, follow the reports you're seeing. Mac Jones, he's been compared stylistically to Matt Ryan, who Kyle Shanahan's coached. You could see a lot of Jimmy Garoppolo in him, even though Mac is slightly more mobile than Jimmy G's proven to be. You could see the fit. You can tell the people that have reported this, they have close ties to Shanahan. Mac Jones is going to be their guy. Now, I know what you're thinking. Well, Josh, they went to Justin Fields' workout earlier this week. Does that make you feel differently? No. You don't trade up to number three unless you already know the guy you're pursuing. And when they traded up for the pick, Justin Fields had yet to have his pro day, one of his two. And when he had his first, it was the same day as Mac Jones and they, Kyle Shanahan and and John Lynch, they were in Tuscaloosa to watch Mac, not in Columbus. I think that's telling. Number four pick, the Atlanta Falcons. They want to trade back. This is assuming no trades are happening here, no trades in these top eight. If they want to trade back, that tells me there's not a quarterback they love here. Probably they want to go with a defensive player, but no defensive player is good enough in terms of value to take in the top five. So I think they're going to go with Kyle Pitts out of Florida. Add a tight end weapon that's as good as any we've seen coming out of the draft. This guy, it's almost over the top how much attention he's getting as a tight end, but... Scouts believe it's all worth it, Atlanta going Kyle Pitts. The fifth pick, Cincinnati Bengals. 
the voice of the Bengals is also the voice of the Bearcats, Dan Horde told me earlier this week. It's almost like a civil war among Cincinnati sports fans between whether they go Panay Sewell or Jamar Chase with the number five pick. This is where the transactions come into play here. Cincinnati already drafted a first-round left tackle in Jonah Williams, and Reef, Riley Reef is somebody they picked up to play right tackle. It's an upgrade over what they had a year ago. I think they picked up Reef with the expectation they'd go best player available at five. I don't think Cincinnati's going to be able to help themselves. I think they go wide receiver, and they reacquaint Joe Burrow with his favorite LSU weapon, Jamar Chase, is going to be the fifth pick to Cincinnati. Number six pick, Miami Dolphins. Devontae Smith. Heisman Trophy winner. Very close evaluation. Him and Jamar. Tua's favorite target in Tuscaloosa. They were both freshmen when Tua in the national title game connected with Devontae for a national title winning touchdown against Georgia. Devontae, Tua, reunited in Miami. They're going to want a weapon there. Number seven pick right before the Panthers, the Detroit Lions. I can see it being Jalen Waddell. I don't know, though. I think with both Sewell and Slater available, they're going to go best player on the board, and in their mock or on their draft board, it's probably going to be Slater over Sewell because they already have Decker at left tackle who they like. At right tackle, it's a little bit muddier. I think they have a fifth-round pick playing there who's not quite as productive. They brought in Jared Goff. They believe in Jared Goff. I think they're going to add Slater for his versatility and the fact he can play right tackle. We don't know if Sewell would be as effective at right tackle versus left. That means the Carolina Panthers have Penae Sewell, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. They're all on the board at number eight. And Carolina takes Penae Sewell. You look at the offseason moves. Carolina's upgraded at quarterback. They feel they've addressed that position. They've picked up a corner in A.J. Boye. They picked up a middle linebacker to replace Tahir Whitehead and Penzel Derryman, uh, uh, Denzel Perryman. They've added a pass rusher, a couple of pass rushers, Morgan Fox, in addition to Hassan Reddick. They feel they've addressed a lot of concerns. What's left is they need to get another defensive tackle in there. They need a corner. There's no D-tackle or corner that you can take with the number eight pick. It Penasel is the perfect player for Carolina to take at number eight. Here's to hoping he falls to that point. So if you're using Occam's razor, that principle of problem solving, I think that's what the top eight looks like in the draft. Shifting things along here. Sawyer, I've been criticized by a lot of my friends on this issue, and I wanted your thought on it. How early is too early to eat breakfast? There's no too early for breakfast. Okay. Not even 3.30, 4.30 in the morning. Whenever you wake up, probably within the hour. Okay. How early is too early for dinner? 5.15. That's too early for dinner unless you're 85, 90 years old at that point. Yeah, you get a free pass. You get a free pass on it. We'll accept that. Is there too late for dinner? Like, what's too late for dinner? 9.45. is too late for dinner. Okay. What about lunch? What is too early to have lunch? This is the argument I have with people. What is too early for lunch? 11.45 is too early. I would, I would say 12.15 for me, but I know 12 is traditional lunchtime, so 11.45. Ask me what time I arrived at the Zaxby's drive-thru this morning a block and a half away from our studio in Kernersville for lunch today. 
Probably like opening time, 11 o'clock or something along those lines. 10.27. Ugh, makes me sick. 10.27. They opened at 10.30. Somebody was there, though, and I ordered it because Wes has had his press conference at 11 today that I needed to watch. I wanted to have lunch when I came in ready to go. I started eating at 10.45 a.m. Is that too early for lunch? That's, three, three, that's six, seven. Is that too early for lunch is the question. 336-777-1600. Is it still breakfast if it's wings? If I, I had get... a plate of hot wings with fries Ew. and Texas toast, that doesn't qualify as breakfast. If I can get a sausage biscuit and iced coffee from McDonald's when you can get lunch, it's not I think the right they time. stopped doing that at 1030. I know, which you got there at 1027. Exactly. That's I know, but I started early. eating at 1045. How early is too early? To eat lunch, seven 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 one six hundred. This is my neurotic thinking. I hate lines. I hate waiting. It is my biggest pet peeve. I hate it. That's why I don't go to amusement parks or the fair unless I'm dragged to it. Why? I hate lines. I maybe chose a weird profession considering I go to a bunch of games where things are packed often in normal times. I plan my schedule around when you're probably grabbing lunch. So you will not catch me dead between noon and one grabbing lunch anywhere. You won't see it unless I've already packed it and brought it in because I am not going to wait in line. So I've usually prepared it. And Sawyer knows this. And this has been a battle between me and Sawyer when we go out to lunch. I eat lunch between 11 and noon, but today was an exception because of the West press conference. How strange am I? Jack tweets in, I'm with you. I get up at about 3 a.m. every day, and I don't eat breakfast, so lunchtime for me is about 9.30. How about it? This is, this is therapeutic. I need this type of stuff here. I need a little bit of support from people here. Dave Pulaski going to join us in about 10 minutes. Are we going to the phones here? Uh, we had a phone caller said he, he would not be talking about it on air, but I could pass it along. Okay, what do you got? Well, our big four story was a man, um, you know, called the medical research oh, yeah, place yeah, about yeah. his drugs. Said he he yeah. called a place. He It was cocaine. He wanted his cocaine back, and then the person at the medical center saw it was cocaine, notified the police he got, he got arrested. We got a call that said this guy's buddy called the Winston-Salem Police Department. Oh, my God. To get drugs back that his son got stolen from him. <laughs> and they both were arrested. <laughs> I love this show. I love you guys so much. <laughs> That's fantastic. Coming up, uh, the NBA's big problem right now. Actually, I don't really care about diving into the big problem. I just want to play sound of Chris Rousseau losing his mind. And Dave Pulaski, he's going to join us to preview the high school football playoffs. He's going to be on the call for a game right here on Sports Up Triad later on tonight. That's all coming up next. No mercy, no pity, no fear. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. We'll see what's going on with our high school football game of the week in just a few minutes. Dave Pulaski will join us. He'll be on the call for East Versailles facing Grimsley later on tonight. State playoffs beginning tonight. It feels weird because it's the end or the middle of April, but high school football is high school football, and I'm all about it here on a Friday afternoon. In the NBA, though, there's a lot of hand-wringing going on with Players deciding to sit out that don't seem to want to play in some of these regular season games with the schedule being as condensed as it is. And that's a problem for the NBA. But also a problem with the condensed schedule, there seems like there are more injuries than there normally we normally would see in an NBA regular season. Doesn't it feel that way? Like when you watch teams, the Atlanta Hawks, Trey Young, Cam Reddish, John Collins, and DeAndre Hunter all weren't sitting out because they didn't want to play the Hornets. It was because of injuries. When I read off this 
Hornets injury report for tonight as they take on the Brooklyn Nets. These are legit injuries we're talking about here. The mellow ball, wrist fracture out. Devontae Graham, left quad contusion out. Gordon Hayward, a right foot sprain out. Malik Monk, a right ankle sprain out. P.J. Washington, right ankle sprain, doubtful. Brad Wanamaker, don't even know what he did to get injured. Right ankle sprain, he's questionable. Darling's even hurt, and he didn't even have a headshot when he started the game Tuesday night against the Lakers. So there's an injury problem. There is, it seems to be an availability issue as well, an urgency issue, if you will, for many other players that has led, left a number of old-time basketball fans pretty upset. Chief among them, bad dog Chris Russo, who was on his Sirius XM show earlier this week, letting people know how he feels about players sitting out. How about Krause telling Jordan somewhere in the 98 season when Pippen decided to take a pass with that late surgery, as we all saw there in the uh, documentary? How about Krause telling Mike, you know, Mike, Sacramento's in, no, we're in Sacramento tonight. You know, you played last night. You know, let's, let's, let's take a blow. You know what Jordan would do? You know what Jordan would do? My God Almighty! You couldn't rip that uniform off him! That's basketball! That's what he would do. He'd freaking play! How about Paul Silas? How about Havlicek? How about Havlicek? We had eight miles every game. Havlicek played from 1963 to 1979. 16 freaking years. Every single game. How about Brad Doherty? You can literally name any player from 30, 40 years ago. I'm trying to think, did he come up with the funniest one? Havlicek's good. It's like a two-minute rant. Bob Cousy. What would be the funniest example to bring up here that Chris Mad Dog Rousseau would be upset about? Using as an example. I'm just trying to think of funny NBA names. What about Muggsy Bogues? What about Muggsy? Muggsy would have played. Muggsy's five feet tall. He would have played. Alonzo Mourning. He would have played. Tweet us examples that you think might work there. Sawyer, I just want you to tell me funny NBA player names. In between questions, I want you to give me a funny NBA player name. And you trying to do your best Chris Mad Dog Russo impression. What about them likely playing big-time minutes? All right, Dave Pulaski with us here. He's going to be on the call later on tonight. It's going to be East Forsyth going up against Grimsley. Before we get into that game, Dave... How many? It's the state playoffs. How many teams from the triad do you feel have a good opportunity to win states this year? Well, Josh, I just felt like I was flashing back to being up in New Jersey listening to Mike and the Mad Dog on yeah. WFAN when I was in high school just during that last segment. You're welcome. You know, always, always nice to hear the dog on uh, you know going to work and doing his thing. Uh, there are a couple of teams that have legitimate state championship possibilities, and let, let's begin with the top seeds, and one of them, will be on our airwaves tonight in the top seed in Grimsley in 4A West going up against East Forsyth. This Grimsley team has all the goods. It has been a steady progression for head coach Dow Brown and his crew over the last couple of years. They went 10-1 and in the regular season last year, 6-0 and this year. They're going to have to pe- get past their playoff kryptonite, however, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Reedsville's the other top seed out of this region in the triad. 6-0 and on the season. They have just been obliterating opponents along the way. And they're in the middle of a little bit of a dynasty for them. They've been to the state championship game four years in a row. They've won three of them, including each of the last two. They're going to try and make it a three-peat this year. And uh, head coach Jimmy Teague has a very strong chance of doing so. What about World Be Free? Sawyer, you could top that? <laughs> oh, man, that was going to be mine. No, you weren't going to do no, that. It was. I, it was the... What about Tree Rollins? Carlos Pusa? Wow, that's pretty good. Uh, Dave. Yes. What's been the strangest part about watching high school football this spring? Has it still captured similar flavors that you would normally see in the fall, or is there something that is just inherently different? You know, there have been times where 
it felt exactly like fall football. And it's going to feel like fall football tonight because it's an absolutely perfect day here in Greensboro. It's around 67 degrees. It's going to drop into the lower 50s, upper 40s at night. That's going to feel like a, a fall playoff game. But in, outside of the uh, aspects like, you know, the kids wearing masks on the sidelines and while they're in the game and announcing the game through a mask, outside of the superficial stuff, it really does feel uh, much like you would experience during the fall football season. The strangest thing, however, has been by having a shorter season, you have a much smaller margin of error. So one loss, if you lose the wrong game at the wrong time, that could cost you a shot at your entire season. And we saw that last week with West Forsyth. They came into their game against Davie County undefeated. They end up losing it in overtime against the War Eagles, and that knocked them out of the playoffs with that just one loss for the season. You think Poe Richardson would have a sit-at game? Poe Richardson, that's a really funny name. Uh, Dave Pulaski, um, tonight it's going to be Grimsley. It's going to be East for Saif. 7 o'clock or 7.30 kick? I know how they like to move those Seven. around. Right, yeah, 7.30 kickoff, so we do have a pregame show tonight beginning okay. at 7 p.m., so we'll, you'll get an extra half hour of content out of us. Boom, you and Drew Brackett, 7.30 kick. Grimsley, East for Scythe, give us a quick preview. Well, I mean, this is the playoff matchup that has really uh, victimized Grimsley over the last two years. This has been their playoff kryptonite going up against East for Scythe. Two years ago in Kernersville, the Eagles won 41-7 and route to their first state championship since 1992. Last year... In the regional final, Grimsley came in as a favorite. East Forsyth ended up with a 21-20 upset victory on the road, going back-to-back into the state title game before beating Cardinal Gibbons the following week in Chapel Hill. So this is a good litmus test for Grimsley. If they're going to prove that they're championship material, they're going to have to go through the team that has topped them the last couple of years. Have a great call tonight. Dave, thanks for playing along with us for a few minutes. Thanks, Josh. Jim McElvain for the win. Jim McElvain! You think he would sit out? You think that guy would sit out? Nah, I'll tell you what, he wouldn't sit out! I'm glad he provided something, because I think Sawyer it was starting to p- peter out for him there. Unless, did you have one more in the tank? Uh, I mean, it depends on how fast. Metal World Peace is obviously the best you can think of. Um... Yeah, but he strikes me as somebody who's going to sit yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. You think Tiny Archibald? You think Tiny Archibald's going to sit out? You have to rip the jersey off his back. He'd be icing his knees up. He'd be icing his knees up every night playing 82 games a year. Yeesh. Guys like Pulaski, man, from the Northeast, they listen to people yell at each other for hours. I don't know how you do it. Whether it be on television, Stephen A. and Kellerman or Shannon Sharp and Skip, I, I just can't do it. My, my throat's hoarse right now just trying to do an impression of it. Four or five hours of it, please, you can have it. When it comes to the Panthers quarterback situation, a boat is a boat, but the mystery box could be anything. That's next on The Drive. As long as you keep talking, talking, they can't end the show. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Oh, yes. Sawyer Dillon's filling in for Robert Walsh, so there has to be some JT involved in the mix. Before we get to the movie game, which is going to be a really fun way to send you into the weekend, a quick look at baseball with our friend Darren Vaught joining us from the Covering the Bases USA Baseball podcast, also the voice of the High Point Panthers for basketball. I'm an Orioles fan. The Orioles are 5-8 and eight to start the year. Tied for last in the AL East, the way the good Lord intended it after they opened the season by sweeping your Red Sox, and I don't think your Red Sox have lost since. They have not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled at their early success. But I think something that we all have to recondition to, Josh, is that this ain't a 60-game season, man. We're playing. We're back to 162. Oh, stop it. I'm an Orioles fan, man. It's... Don't don't try to build up hope. No, Your no, no, team, no, my team started four and zero, and since then they're one and eight. And you're talking to me about the long span of the season. We had the worst odds going into the year. Get out of here with that nonsense. I get it from your perspective. Is Boston legitimately this? 
I don't know about that. Are the Yankees really a 5-7 and seven team? Probably not. I'm sounding a lot no, like that, Chris Mad Dog Russo right say. now. I need to stop. That's what I was saying. The Orioles, like, you know, don't don't get used to all that elbow room down there in the cellar because the Red Sox, I think, are, are headed that direction at some point. It's, we'll it's hard to watch teams that you're not really invested in when you consider this stat that was put out here earlier this week that the combined batting average in the first few weeks of the season is 236 or 237 thus far, which feeds this near, I don't want to say the word narrative, but I think it applies here. I think it's used correctly here that it's either home runs or strikeouts. Strikeouts, you're going to get 15 strikeouts a day. You got three home runs in a game. Yeah, you might get a walk every now and then. So (laughs) it's something that it's, it's hard to watch at points which leads to the Atlantic League and independent ball looking at moving back the mound one foot. Uh, They're looking at doing that to see if that's going to lessen strikeouts and give batters a better chance here. What's your biggest concern right now with baseball? Understanding that's a question that it feels like I'm asking you every year. Yeah, um, it's always adaptive. Right, because the thing you have to understand about the 236 overall batting average across the league is that we've also had two no-hitters, two really, really exciting pitching performances, and I know they're fleeting and they just pass and they're gone, but on the nights that those happen, Josh, they, the entire sports world's attention is there. Right, We saw it, and especially with Carlos Rodon being a, a, an NC State product so a, a lot of it the state of North Carolina eyes were on that and remember his success I mean throwing 10 innings of, of one hit baseball against North Carolina at one point in his Wolfpack career and just what he's fought through that sort of thing so uh, it's it, it's always sort of an adjustment and I think one of the things that we are starting to work toward is not getting too too analytics obsessed and there is an extreme that would say that there are absolutes in the world of baseball that can no longer be the case. Now, you know, people like that would say, oh, striking out is okay. We don't mind a strikeout. Well, you know, if a guy goes up 10 times and he strikes out eight, no, you can be okay with a strikeout when he's producing, but you can't be okay with eight out of 10 times he goes up, he strikes out, right? So coaching staff, uh, front offices are starting to adjust a little bit to that. And you could say the same thing for the shift. The shift is not an absolute anymore in, in, in certain situations. And it's, um, it's just about managing it and, and finding, finding reasonable fixes in between. That's why I don't mind things like the Atlantic League moving back the mound or, or things like that. Now, I would take issue with, with the idea that they're going to do it in the middle of a season. So, you know, for instance, the High Point Rockers are going to play a series over a weekend, and then they're going to show back up to – they're going to play a series on the road over one weekend when this rule is implemented. And they're going to show back up at their home field, and the, the mound's just going to be moved back. Mid-season, mid-year, they're moving the mound back a foot, which is absurd. That's ridiculous. I don't mind a rule change, but, you, I mean <laughs> – you got to roll it out at the beginning of the season. I agree with all that. Darren Vaught's on Twitter, at Darren Vaught. Let's get into the movie game. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. It's time for some kind of movie game. All right, all right, all right. With Josh Graham and Darren Vaught. I Show me the money. Absolutely love the movie game. And I'll explain the rules very quickly. It is based on the Rotten Tomatoes audience score, which goes 0 to 100, grading the quality of movie that Sawyer Dillon has pulled with a theme for movies for us to try and grade here. The fourth is a golden movie if we're close enough in our scores within each other after three. We're going to try and guess 0 out of 100 what a movie rates on the Rotten Tomatoes score and however many points we're off will be our score. If we hit it right on the nose, our score gets deducted five points. You add your score up as we go on. You want the lowest score possible. Sawyer's going to have to do math as this thing goes, which I imagine is going to be fun. Sawyer, what's the theme 
for this movie game. So Wes Miller is the new head coach of the Bearcats. And now Bearcats is a somewhat... Cincinnati Bearcats, yeah. yes. Somewhat rare like animal. You don't really see it out. So there's not many movies that have to do with Bearcats, but there are movies that have to do with bears and cats. So we have a <laughs> mixture of bears and cats movies today. Okay. What is the first movie that involves either a bear or a cat? Very famous bear scene. The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> that is our bear, first movie. I, it's one of my hottest movie takes. The bear deserved the Oscar. <laughs> it's the I bear. I disagree with that. Okay, Leo, that's the movie he won his best picture Oscar for. The bear. That was unbelievable <laughs> acting by the bear. Like, I feel like a real bear would have killed Leo for sure. But that yeah. bear held off and did not kill Leo. That is unbelievable acting by the bear. And and for for what it's worth, that was a lifetime achievement award for Leo. Like oh, for that, sure. That's that's how he won. So okay, um, uh, I I think I have to go first with this. Let me get a score written down here. I've got mine. All right, this is audience score. So okay, I got a score. Right, I'm Josh. gonna go with. I think this is probably critically ranked really, really high, but I think it's a little bit lower for the audience score. I'm going 79%. All right, and Darren? 86. And the score for The Revenant is? The Revenant came out at an 84. Wow! Audience score. So that leaves Josh with five points and Darren with two. So Darren's in the lead early on. What is the second movie? This movie I did not see, and I feel bad for anyone who did see it. Uh, the movie is straight up just named Cats. It was with Idris oh Elba, James Corden, Cats. Taylor Swift, <laughs> all the big name Jason actors. Jason Derulo! Yeah. If you watch this movie, I feel bad for you, but this is the audience score, whatever you thought the movie Cats think it came out two years ago got. The Jason Derulo... Yeah, an adaptation of the, the famous musical. Did yeah. Jason Derulo steal his Jason Derulo from T-Pain starting every one of his songs what way, Darren? Yeah, he... Yeah, I think he did. I think he did steal that from T-Pain. Well, I mean, let's be... To be fair, beginning in, like, the early 2000s, it, was, it became in vogue in both hip-hop, R&B, to uh, introduce yourself before you really started into a feature in uh -huh. a song. Because, I mean, you know, Jermaine Dupree did the same sort of thing. That's right. Because he was featured in everything in, like, the year 2004. Um, but, no, I, I'm not going to hate on Derulo for doing that. The right? best example of that, I think, is Petey Pablo with Sierra and Goodies. Him doing, like, the talk radio thing and introducing himself. <laughs> That's great. Uh, do you have a score written down, Darren? I do. Okay, I'm going... The question really is, how low do you go? I'm going 17%. That's as low as I've ever been, but I'm going for it. That is. Uh, I went with an even 50. I split the middle. Nah, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna take the lead on this one. Who, who's rating cats higher than a 30? Come on, what is it, Sawyer? The audience score of cats was 53. Oh! The critic, the critic score was fourteen percent, but the audience score was fifty-three. What? Ah. I have to pull out my phone to do I'm the math getting, on Josh's number. I'm it's getting so blasted. Crazy high. Sawyer, oh my God, Darren is like at a five. Josh, he might be in single digits. Josh just added thirty-six points to his name. So I am at forty-one. Forty-one to five. Oh my yeah. God. So. I'm screwed. Um, this is unbelievable. Darren has an opportunity. This is like the movie game equivalent to a perfect game or a no hitter, like Carlos Rodon this week. Right can you? Can you be? Can you finish in single digits? Can you get this within four? You also have the opportunity if you get it right on the nose, Darren. You can finish your score at a zero. Wow. Or in the negative. Well, no. I mean, you're right? at five. Is it minus 10 or minus 5? It's minus 5. Oh, all right, damn. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. I was really hoping for the negatives. That's all right. I feel like you guys have seen this movie. Fairly popular movie. Uh, the movie with Mark Wahlberg, Ted, with the stuffed bear, the teddy bear. <laughs> the comedy Ted with Mark Wahlberg. The first one, not the second one, the first Ted. 
the audience score of Ted. So how many points do I need to make up here? A lot. Uh, let's I am see. off by 30, 30. Yeah, 36. Okay, I'm off by 36, so I need to make up 26 off Darren to have a shot. Yes. Correct. Okay. So I feel it's fair if Darren's the one that goes first here. Because Darren, the drama is with you to see if you can get this in single digits. Yes, it is. Um, okay, I, I got I got my score written down. I got my score too. I'm I'm just gonna All tell right. you what my score is. I got 42% written down. It's not because I think it's that bad. It's because I need to give myself a shot here. Yeah, you need the separation. What was the, what was the number that you needed? I need to be off. I need to make up 26 off you. Okay. All right. You, well, you've got a chance. You've got a chance here because I wrote down 77 for 10. All right. What is the Rotten Tomato score for Ted? Hold up. I think we need to do a little... Uh... What is the score? The Rotten Tomato score for Ted. If I got it on the nose, he would have said by now. Oh, my yeah. God. Okay. No, I don't know. Sawyer's a little bit nervous. The it audience, looks like he's double the checking it. The score was 73. Darren... What? ...stays in single digits for the movie <laughs> game. He was off by one... He was off by three. He was off by three. So which nine points? Unbelievable! Sawyer and Darren, what a pleasure! I'm <laughs> stepping into your time here, Darren. You're in single digits for the movie game. I feel I can't even feel my face right now. The, the, the you know they they say that when a guy throws a no no, he just gets in his zone, and I think that's what just happened. It was an out of body experience, crushing you. The way that I just did, Josh. Um, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna gloat on it too long because, again, these moments are fleeting, and and you know tomorrow we're gonna realize that most of the time this doesn't happen. I just want to say that Josh did finish with 72 points. Yeah, uh, that's pretty bad. 72 to nine. That's is that the greatest deficit in the history of the movie game? Easily, easily the greatest Absolutely. deficit. I don't know if we've ever had someone finish in single digits. I don't think we did. So I just dunked on you so hard. You really Just did. bring another another analogy, a different sports analogy into it. There you go. Darren Vaught, have yourself a great weekend, friend. Hey, you guys do the same. I'll there you it. go. It is Darren Vaught winning the movie game. What was the fourth movie? Uh, Garfield with Bill Murray, the very first Garfield. When? What year did the very first Garfield come Well, out? like the first, like... Live action? Live action, mm -hmm. yeah, like 2006 or something. Uh, what would you have given it? I would have given that... Probably like a 52. 37. Man, you're just not even close today. Yeah, That's all right. It's just not my day. Not my day. But it is Friday. Got any weekend plans? Uh, golfing tomorrow morning. Oh, wow. Where are you golfing at? Uh, Crooked Tree or C Crooked Creek. One of the two. I've never been there before. It's somewhere far away. I'm sure you're going to be doing some streaming as well. Did, you, did anyone from the show pop in a few nights ago? Uh, sometimes the chat gets going a little too quick and I can't read them all, but oh, maybe, gotcha. maybe, you know, you're you just sometimes so, just don't know. You're just so popular. You're probably going to be streaming the night. Probably, probably at about 11 o'clock. Once I get out of here, I'll, I'll go live. Oh yeah. We got high school football tonight. Make sure you're listening to that. Uh, Grimsley going up against East for Scythe. I've been told that West Miller is going to join us early next week. That should be a lot of fun. Feel really good for him after watching his press conference.